This is episode 595 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, The Ultimate Pandemic Survival Guide. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. I'm so glad that you are here listening to this episode. Hey, this one is one of those really interesting ones. It comes to us from ModernSurvivalOnline.com. And again, the title is The Ultimate Pandemic Survival Guide. There's a lot here, so let's go ahead and dig in. As a prepper, you have plenty to prepare for. There are all kinds of threats to your safety, large and small, but small does not always mean less deadly. In fact, of all the threats that you could face, one of the smallest just so happens to be the deadliest and the hardest to defend against. I'm talking about germs, bacterial and viral threats. When a local germ outbreak slips the leash and spreads faster than anyone can hope to contain it, and jumps the borders between continents, you have a pandemic. Historically, one of the deadliest and most terrifying events that anyone could hope to live through. The death toll brought on by a pandemic will be enormous. Now, if the thought of trying to defend against something that you cannot see, smell, or hear that can kill you as certainly as a bullet from a gun does not scare you, you are a braver man than I. In this article, we'll be taking a look into the gruesome effects of a pandemic and what you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones from these infectious events. So what is a pandemic exactly? How does a pandemic differ from an epidemic or a plague and what else? The proper definition of a pandemic is any rapidly transmitted outbreak of disease that crosses international boundaries. That means that this is no local flu bug you're dealing with. A pandemic by nature has the chops to infect rapidly and can be transmitted to new hosts just as fast meaning that it can propagate itself far and wide. The disease, be it bacterial, viral, or something else, must be infectious to make the grade as a pandemic. Take cancer, for instance. Cancer is a terrible and common killer, but not infectious. You cannot catch cancer from someone, and since it is not transmissible, you could not call cancer a pandemic. Now, something like the flu in various forms or bacterial infections like plague, those make for pandemics. Both are nasty, can be lethal, and are certainly transmissible. In practice, this means that pandemics almost always hit populated areas the hardest and will reap a terrible toll in lives or manpower when they reach urban areas. Now, pandemics are not lethal by nature, but it just so happens that many of history's most notorious pandemics were. We cannot predict what the nature and symptoms of the next big pandemic will be. Major agencies and organizations like the U.S. Center for Disease Control and the World Health Organization take great pains to keep an eye on upstart germs and outbreaks of any intensity to make sure they have a handle on them before or if they go hot and begin to head towards epidemic status. It is not a happy thought, but no agency in the world has all the answers and all the keys to every door. There are many unknown germs out there at least some that are so terrible they will defy belief, that are just waiting for the chance to hide a ride in an unsuspecting host born right into the heart 
of human civilization. So let's take a look at some of history's worst pandemics. So I have good news and bad news. The good news is you don't need to worry about some unknown uber germ springing an ambush on humanity. The bad news is there are already plenty of known and understood pathogens that have done just that, and we know how bad they gave it to us. As you read the following sections, you may be shocked or horrified to learn how many lives were lost to illness alone. While today our medical technology and understanding of these greatest hits renders their threat greatly reduced, enough that you probably don't need to fear a resurgence, they all still exist, and in the case of viruses, their proclivity to rapid mutation means the next nightmare strain that we have no defense against could just be around the corner. All right, so let me break in here just really quickly. So just because I, I know that he's saying here that you don't have to uh, fear a resurgence, but he's talking about, and what I believe he's talking about here in this section, is that the one strain that caused the problem would not be a, a problem. And so the, the problem with, uh, with pandemics and bacteria and virus infections and all that kind of stuff is that they mutate. And I know that he's mentioned that here already is the mutation. That's, that's the thing. So you can have a strain and you'll hear about this often when flu season hits you, right? So they'll say that the, the flu vaccine, however you feel about that, right? What, whatever you believe about that, the flu vaccine, uh, they'll put it out there. And then what's happening is people are getting sick because of the flu. And they'll say that the flu strain that is hitting everyone, it's not was not in the flu vaccine because it's a new strain or, you know, it's mutated or whatever. And so just wanted to kind of point that out there because there are, you know, things can resurge. You can have the flu. He's going to talk about the Spanish flu here in a minute. That doesn't mean that the flu can't be can't become another pandemic. And so I just want to be clear on that as we as we move forward. All right, let's continue on. The archetypal pandemic and proper plague known to most people is the Black Death, a bacterial killer that is thought to have been born by fleas that infested rats. Brought to Europe from Asia in the mid-14th century thanks to merchants of the day hauling these hitchhiking rodents and their deadly cargo, it is estimated that upward of half of Europe died as a result of the killer germ some 100 plus million people with some ghoulish estimates as high as 211 million. The Black Death was not easy was not an easy way to go, as most killer infections usually aren't. But if you were one of the countless that contracted this contagion, you could expect to suffer from swollen, pus-filled cysts on your neck, armpits, and lower body, and this was accompanied by a high fever. Near the end, you'd start puking blood and then die terribly. All right, let me break in here one more time. Uh, it probably won't be the last time I break in, right? Um, one of the things that I remember reading about this, uh, about the Black Death, the, the plague, and, and all that stuff, is a lot of the times they blamed the Jews for it because Jews weren't getting sick. And from what I remember reading is that Jews, a lot of Jews had cats, a lot of Jewish communities, you know, they just had cats and the cats were killing the rats. So there wasn't as much of a rat infestation problem because the cats were killing the rats that were carrying the disease. And so rats would get into your food and would, you know, they would poop and do all that nasty stuff and that people would be infected that way. 
And so that's one of the reasons why I don't know if the world ever, you know, the end of the world as we know it ever, ever hits us. You might want to have a few cats around that could kill, you know, different rats and things that are outside. Um, I know that when I had chickens, I seemed to see a lot more critters. I was never able to put eyes on specific, you know, if it was a rat or a possum or whatever. I was never, I just could hear them at night. However, we have, our next door neighbor has a couple of outdoor cats. And I've realized since, I have not seen anything since, right? And so I've seen them kind of stalk squirrels. And so I've seen, uh, you know, a lot less squirrels around our house, which when you're doing a garden, that's that's great because they're not eating your your produce. Right. They're not eating your fruits and vegetables. But that is something just to kind of have in the back of your mind and consider. I don't necessarily want a cat right now. But if I was in a situation like the end of the world as we know it, I, I don't know. I think I might want to have a cat because they could deal with things like this on the outside. So I don't know, that's just my two cents and you can take it for what it's worth. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. Another nasty bacterial pandemic was caused by cholera, which lays claim to the title of most outbreaks through the years gone by and still poses a threat today in many parts of the world, though it is thankfully rare in the U.S. A serious outbreak will obliterate a population in no time since it is spread by way of contaminated food and water sources. One such outbreak hit Southeast Asia in the mid-19th century and killed over 1.5 million people in less than 15 years. Cholera is one hell of a nasty bug, inflicting awful diarrhea, cramping, and vomiting on victims. The major issue with cholera is that it dehydrates its victims with shocking speed and further depletes electrolyte levels dangerously. Either can cause death and a host of other health issues. Good medical care combined with antibiotics can greatly reduce the mortality rate, but untreated, you have about a 50-50 chance of dying from this bug. One pandemic that has struck repeatedly through time is one you are probably already very acquainted with, the flu. But not just any flu strain, no sir, we are talking Spanish flu, which in the early 20th century was ravaging the entire globe, resulting in 5% of the world's population dying. The Spanish flu pandemic is notoriously ranked as the worst medical catastrophe in history. Whereas most flu strains are only likely to have a chance of killing the old, young, or infirmed, where it just makes healthy adults miserable, the Spanish flu strain would easily kill a healthy adult. Its effects on victims were atypical for usual flu infections, and this often resulted in misdiagnosis that would turn out to be a costly mistake. Before you'd be rid of the flu or shuffle off the mortal coil, you could look forward to such horrors as bleeding from mucous membranes and symptomatic pneumonia. As mentioned earlier, viruses like the flu can mutate quickly with unpredictable results, and this could result in a frightening deadly germ appearing seemingly out of nowhere. The most well-known and modern pandemic that is currently underway is the one caused by HIV and the subsequent development of AIDS and is currently wrecking its slow and insidious havoc across Africa and Southeast Asia. Chances are you already know about HIV spread, or how HIV spreads, getting topped off with infected blood or sexual contact with someone that already has the virus. Infected needles are also problematic vectors in developing countries and among drug users. Over a million infected carriers are in the U.S., 
For much of its incubation, carriers do not know they are infected and will not display any outward sign of the lethal pathogen they carry. Once it progresses, symptoms will start off as cold or flu-like and quickly progress to weight loss and fever. As the immune systems fail, death is most often caused by secondary infection. Life expectancy is about a decade once contracted, and there is no known cure. All right, so I don't know. I know HIV has experienced a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of money and a lot of research, and they've come out with some drugs. Um, Gosh, I know, I don't know exactly where I saw it, but I think that they've come up with some really powerful drugs that, that, can handle it, right, and really stay off the uh, the transition from HIV over into AIDS. So there's a, a lot more probably research that needs to be done on that. You know, one of the things that's going on right now, if you're not very familiar, you know, we have people on the Facebook group that uh, are keeping track of what's going on in, you know, with Ebola and stuff like that. And so it has, you know, it has gotten into a bigger area. It has moved into uh, a bigger city. And so that's always one of those things. You know, the reason why Ebola seems to not be taken care of is in these countries, well, in, in the African countries, there is a big distrust of foreigners coming in and a big distrust of, you know, any kind of vaccines and medicines that they have. And so that's a big issue. And so, you know, the the virus keeps going or getting bigger and bigger. Ebola keeps, you know, affecting more people. One of the things they talk about is just be staying hydrated and good sanitation. And you're going to hear about that uh, here in the rest of this article. Talks a lot about that, that that is one of the keys when you're dealing really with any pandemic. But the fact is that there's a lot of other things as well. I know uh, I've talked about it here before. I was actually listening to John Haller's prophecy update on the way home from church. And he brought it up again that you know China is a big... Uh, you know, the, the consumer of pigs, right? And of, uh, uh, of pork. And so they have their own, you know, they, they raise their own and all that kind of stuff, but they've been ravaged lately uh, with uh, the, you know, the issues there with, with their, uh, with their pigs that they're starting to import a lot from the United States. And uh, that's one of the things, you know, not too long ago, I mentioned that there was a big uh, convention that was canceled because they were afraid that people, you know, people come from all over the world and they bring their stuff. And I know I mentioned this in an episode not too long ago, but they bring materials, they bring tools, they bring maybe even animals and feed and stuff like that. And they decided, you know, th- this is a, a, a U.S. conference and deci- they decided to cancel it because they didn't want to run the risk of, you know, some some kind of infection coming from Asia, coming into the United States. And it, it might not even be because of a whatever, a pig or whatever. They were just being overly cautious, which I think is a great idea when you're talking about things like this, you know, being overly cautious, making sure that you don't unwisely infect, you know, your your pigs and your pork and, and stuff like that. Can you imagine that? Hey, I don't, I don't want to lose out on bacon uh, anytime soon, right? So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there because there's always something like on the horizon. There's always something that's going on. And so if you're not familiar with what's going on in China there, um, that's something to to look into. I'm going to try to find a recent uh, article. If I do, I'll put it in the show notes. But definitely 
something maybe that I'll, I'll put in the Facebook group. Although, um, like I've said before, I'm not spending a whole lot of time there, but I can send things there to the Facebook group. And, uh, and just for your information, I know the World Health Organization, I know that he's already mentioned it here uh, in this article, they do stay up to date on what's going on out there. So if you are really concerned to keep an eye on what's going on in the world, you can always you know, go there and see what, what they're saying and, and what they're reporting over there. All right, so let's go ahead and continue. So next up, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic stages. So all of the information in the following sections of this article is sourced from published guidelines and other information released by either the CDC or the WHO or WHO World Health Organization. None of the following is homebrew advice, conjecture, or scientific wild-haired guesses. When it comes to dealing with a threat that you cannot see or even detect before it is too late, you don't mess around with cockamamie theories and hope for the best plans. Below are the stages of any pandemic or potential pandemic as classed by the World Health Organization. The WHO has outlined a planet-wide plan based on the behavior scope and scale of any outbreak. So this categorization is based on three phases. The interpandemic period, meaning before the onset. The pandemic alert period, meaning conditions are ripe for an outbreak and the threat is ascendant, and the pandemic period, which means exactly what it says. The pandemic is underway. The germs have broken international boundaries. The following are all typed for the flu virus. So the interpandemic period, there are two phases in this one. So they all go, it's phase one through six. So the interpandemic period has two phases. Phase one, no new flu subtype detected in humans. A subtype that could infect humans may be present in animals, but the risk of cross-species infection is low. Phase two is no new flu subtype detected in humans, but a known subtype is circulating and identified in animals and does pose a threat to humans. So then we jump to the pandemic alert period and we start with phase three. New subtype has infected humans, but there is no human-to-human transmission or spread is very rare, resulting from close contact. Phase 4. There small outbreaks occur, human transmission still limited, localized and viruses not very well adapted to humans. Phase 5. is Larger outbreaks occur, but are still localized. Subtype is adapting to humans, but is not yet at maximum transmissibility. And then we jump to the pandemic period, and this is phase six. It's a pandemic. The subtype is highly transmissible to humans and is propagating at a sustained and increasing rate. All right, so pandemic protection. Let's talk a little bit about defense against these germs. Every single germ is knowable only by the sickness it causes outside of medical labs, of course. Germs are completely invisible, totally silent, and make no warning of their passage. Germs can move and multiply host to host to host with no warning and the victims may not even show any symptoms until it is way too late. Chances are you and everyone else who knows you are under the threat from a pandemic will be properly paranoid. While you must remain calm and rational, a little paranoia can sharpen you enough to keep you safe and free from taking any unnecessary risks. You cannot deal with germs as you would a rampaging looter or a rapid animal. You won't be able to scare germs away with the show of force. The only way to keep a germ from doing its deadly work is by adhering with religious devotion to sanitation, quarantine, and hygiene protocols with iron-willed discipline. 
Now, good peacetime protocols when it comes to food prep and personal cleanliness are all that is needed to stay safe in normal times. But when under threat of a real pandemic, you'll need to kick things into high gear. You must double your efforts and take absolutely no chances. You will never be able to protect, clean, sanitize, and disinfect anything, including yourself enough. The following procedures are sourced from CDC guidelines with my thoughts following each. Okay, so the objective here is to limit the spread of germs and preclude infection. Mandate 1. Avoid close contact with infected insect. The more contact you have with the sick and the more time you spend around them and their immediate surroundings, the greater chances you have of contracting what they have. Keep a deadly distance from sick people, and if you have to go near them or out into public under pandemic warning, assume everything is contaminated. Mandate number two, keep away from others if you are sick. Do not take the chance that others, especially those you care about, could become victims of contagion. Quarantine yourself away from uninfected people. Mandate number three, always cover your mouth and nose when coughing and sneezing. If possible, utilize a cloth or a strong tissue to catch any droplets of fluid flying out of your face, which are major vectors for infection. The greater your effectiveness at stopping this, the better, as both are major causes in the spread of diseases. Number four, or mandate number four, wash your hands often. Washing the hands removes germs before they make it onto vulnerable tissue on your body or just to other surfaces waiting for the next unfortunate and unknowing soul to pick them up. Mandate number five, do not touch your eyes, your nose, or mouth. This is very hard to do since it is such an automatic gesture, but you must summon the discipline to see it done. All of these parts of your body are highly vulnerable to infection by germs. Wiping the corner of an eye, scratching your nose, or rubbing your lips is all it takes to contract the disease. Even when your hands are clean, leave your face alone. Guys, this is one that I try to think about regularly because I normally have my hands on my face. Like if I am listening to someone, if I'm in a meeting or whatever, you know, it's just really easy to kind of, when you're sitting back and thinking and trying to reflect and and process everything, it's just one of those things that I I naturally do. And so I try to break myself of that habit. All right. So mandate number six, practice good health habits. There's more to staying healthy than avoiding germs. Eating right, getting enough physical activity, staying hydrated, and getting enough rest are all essentials to keep your body in tip-top condition and your immune system able to fight off any invaders. No matter how deadly a bug might be, it will always have a much harder time killing someone who is healthy and in good shape. Mandate number seven, regularly disinfect household services. Any surfaces used to prepare food or during usual hygiene rituals will need extra attention. Always be sure to use a cleaner with qualified antiseptic characteristics and use it according to manufacturer instructions. That means if it says dilute or don't dilute, do it. If you need to leave it on a surface for a certain amount of time in order for it to work, do it. Some germs are hardier than others and you don't need any surviving remnant hanging around. So what do we do when we're in a pandemic and we have to deal with the rest of society? So pandemics are so dangerous and unpredictable for exactly the reason you are thinking of. Germs are invisible and until a victim goes symptomatic, they have no signature at all. Combine this with the high mobility afforded to everyday people in the modern world and human beings' proclivity to run around all over the freaking place and you have a real scary situation, potentially. 
Consider this, your town may be far, far away from the hot zone of a pandemic, but all it takes is one person carrying the germ to roll through town, stop for a burger at a popular diner, let's say, and then your town will become the next hot zone. Our patient zero left a trail of germs from the door handles to the booth and the bathroom and back. The waitress got it, then the cook, and the cook is handling all the food. You see where I'm going? As ugly as it is, the rule of thumb is you must take precautions if a pandemic is underway anywhere in your region or country. Enact your preventative measures at once. Any confirmed case of a lethal disease in your immediate area or in a neighboring town means the germ is effectively present no matter what. Take that as your cue to sequester yourself and loved ones away at home if at all possible. As with prepping for any other disaster or crisis, pre-planning and pre-stocking is key to survival. If you have enough in the way of provisions, you and yours can stay bottled up nice and snug for as long as the pandemic lasts. You will certainly need things like food, water, and medicine, both prescriptions if needed and over-the-counter remedies, but pandemic-specific provisions should include disposable face masks, face shields, surgical gloves, smocks, and bleach in case you need to risk contamination for any reason. Heavy plastic sheeting and duct tape will allow you to create seals for doors and windows if needed and also airlocks for setting up quarantine rooms should a family or group member fall ill. Take the time to greatly buff your supplies of all medicines and also stock up on electrolyte replacement solutions or powders and make sure you go easy on the sugar. Since so many serious diseases feature diarrhea and vomiting as symptoms, you must be prepared to drink more than just water as water alone will not save you from off-kilter electrolyte levels. Now have a talk ahead of time with all family members on the subject of quarantine, care and how they should handle it. Sometimes hard decisions may need to be made to ensure no one else risks contracting the germ. Your only threat may come from the germ itself, but it might not be the only thing you have to deal with. Second order effects like unrest and violence may result from societal strain since emergency personnel and law enforcement will be stretched thin due to their mission tempo and suffering from their own losses. Isolated violence from opportunistic misanthropes or desperate people is possible, but widespread violence will likely be limited since everyone will have reason to fear infection. All personal security procedures are still in play. You'll need weapons, lights, and plenty of practice. Fortification of your home and a bug-in plan of a long-term pandemic situation aren't bad ideas either. Emphasize ranged weapons like firearms and pepper spray to keep as much distance between you or yourself and an attacker as possible. In the event that police or other emergency services are unable to respond to the incident, you must have a plan for dealing with any bodies left behind, either from the disease or from defensive forces. Either will remain a vector for the disease after death and will become its own biohazard as it decomposes. Keep bleach, absorbent compound, and thick gloves on hand for the task and make sure you are suited and sealed to prevent infection while you handle the corpse. All right, so I'll come back to that in just a minute. So let me go ahead and conclude this. Pandemics are a major threat and historically have been among the deadliest events to occur on Earth since history was recorded. Germs afford you no time to get ready, so your best defense against these silent killers is strict adherence to good sanitation protocols. In the event that you have warning of a pandemic spread, you must act as quickly as possible and to enact proper procedures and prevent infection. 
All right, guys, so that is the article, again, from ModernSurvivalOnline.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes, so you can go to it, read it a little bit more carefully, maybe link to some of the links that they have here in the article. So I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about After Armageddon, and so I, I know that I've mentioned it before. I'm actually, I found it on YouTube, and I'm linking to it in the show notes, so if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it because it's a docudrama, you know, it's one of those things, but it's interesting and it's one of those that really got my wife thinking about preparedness. It kind of, I think it sealed the deal for her. And so, you know, we watched it together. It was one summer. And uh, after that, she was like, okay, maybe we need to start stocking up on water. And so it kind of went, it kind of went from there. So I, I think it's one of those, you know, docudramas that again, like I said, if you haven't seen it, it would be good to see it. There's a lot there. Now, in this one, this docudrama, there is the pandemic does cause the end of the world as we know it. Like everything goes into your typical, you know, end of the world. Uh, everything kind of stops. Everything, everything goes that way. There's uh, bands of, of gangs and stuff like that that wind up trying to take things from people and, and people, you know, try to find uh, sanctuary with, with other people. And anyway, so you have that. It's ravaged the whole world and, and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to, as I was thinking about that, and, you know, at the very end, it talked about, you know, bodies and you're going to have to protect yourself and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know so much about that, right? I don't know if that would be the case. I want to go back to, I know it was a different time, a different world, back when they were talking about the Spanish flu. And we've seen pictures of, of you know, like big gyms being utilized to, to deal with people that were sick and, and things like that here in America, right? And so we, we've seen those pictures. They've been out before. If you've seen any uh, or you read any preparedness articles before, I mean, you know, you've seen that. So anyway, did did people react that way back then? Now I know again it was a different time, but did the world go, you know, to the end of the world like that? You know, did did everyone go there that quickly? And I would say no. I mean, because we're still here today, right? People were a little bit more afraid. They stayed indoors. They did what they needed to do to uh, to get past it, right? So the thing the thing to think about is, you know, would people respond in that same way today? Or are people just crazy? Now, of course, if people are not prepared and you have family at home that are hungry and, and uh, you know, they, they need to eat, people will be going out and possibly looting and different things like that. So, you know, the, all that stuff is, you know, you need to be thinking about that. But does a pandemic mean that it is the end of the world as we know it? Uh, would it Would it go down like that? Again, all of our preparedness is, you know, would play into that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if people prepare for pandemics specifically, but what you prepare for now, you know, having food, having water, having regular supplies, all those things would play into, uh, into all of that. I think it is smart to have N95 masks in your preparedness. I think it's smart to have nitro gloves, you know, and, and having uh, those gloves just to clean up messes and things like that. And not necessarily for pandemics, but I think it's just smart to have on hand if you need those types of things. And then the, the medicines and, and the first aid supplies and things that you would need. So, you know, going from there, some people might not want to, you know, get smocks and, and uh, you know, full on, you know, biohazard suits and, and things like that. I don't know too many people that would have something like that. I think the idea most people would have is just to kind of button up their homes and just like don't go out. And that would be the idea. 
and uh, you know stay aware of what's going on and you know stay informed of what's going on and make good decisions that way. But you always hear that we're overdue for a pandemic. It's been a while. You hear those scary stories about antibiotic resistant, you know, um, bacteria that is out there, and you know that's a scary thing. So if something was to happen, if there was a, you know, some kind of infection that was to go worldwide, how long would it take for them to actually come up with a remedy to that? You know, it doesn't, you know, they would, it takes a while to, you know, figure out what's going on. It takes a while to, you know, get things to labs and, and test it and all that kind of stuff. And then to produce a remedy, right? To produce something that would inoculate people against that one specific thing. So it would take a while and you have to make up the, or make the decision. What would you do if something like that happened? You know, if you heard that maybe something jumped, right? So some kind of infection, pandemic infection jumped and found its way in the United States. Would you start calling in sick? and saying, hey, I can't come into work, and maybe just to kind of give you a couple of days to see what's going on, would you keep your kids home from school, uh, you know, even beforehand, before it got really bad, or just uh, even before there was any kind of real information out there so that you could kind of, you know, get a good grasp of what was going on? So I don't know. Different people would have different ideas. I would greatly love to hear what you would do and what you would consider doing if you heard that some kind of pandemic has jumped, whatever, has arrived here in the United States, right? Through, you know, a boat, through plane, through whatever, you know, and uh, is here in the United States. And how far does it have to be for you? So, you know, feel free to come over to episode 595. I make it very easy for you in the show notes to come over and leave a comment. How far does a pandemic have to be for you to start making decisions to not go anywhere. you just kind of like, hey, all right, so I'm going to call in sick uh, to work. And just in case, I'm not going to send my kids out to school just in case. And so we're going to hunker down. How far does a pandemic have to be? So again, come over to episode 595. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And I'll read it on uh, you know, I'll read it in the next episode and share that information with other people because because, you know, none of us have been through a pandemic, a real pandemic. And so this would be all new territory. We have the history books. We have the articles. We have all that kind of stuff. But well, what would people do and how would people react nowadays? It, it might be a lot different than it had been in the past. So uh, just a lot of food for thought there and uh, something to, to kind of get you thinking. Again, for preparedness, if you don't have your basic food and water and those types of things, man, that needs to be some of the things that you do. Basic food, water, over-the-counter medication, you know, start getting those things in place. It just makes sense when you put food, uh, you know, in your pantry and you have it there and you start rotating it out and uh, you start using that, buying what you, your family would, would eat on a regular basis. It just makes sense. And if something major happens, whatever that might be, then you are way ahead of the game. You're way ahead of the game and being prepared. And again, we, we don't do it for, you know, because we run in fear. We do that to mitigate emergencies. And we're doing that because we care, we love our families, and we want to make sure that we're there for them when the time comes. So we prep in good times 
for emergency situations and it just makes sense. Well, guys, like I said, I'm going to link to this episode in the show notes so you can go check it out at modernsurvivalonline.com. And that is it for episode 594. Hey guys, if you're looking for more preparedness throughout the week, don't forget to come over to Prepper website. We post 8 to 12 articles every single day on a ton of different preparedness-related uh, you know, topics. And so you will find something that will be of interest to you, not to mention the specific pages that we have geared to alternative news, firearms, conspiracy, do-it-yourself, do frugal living, all kinds of stuff out there for you on the right-hand corner and in the resource resource section. You can find a lot of great material over there. Hey, and don't forget to subscribe to the show. If you're listening to this uh, podcast, this episode, uh, for the very first time and you haven't subscribed, every major podcast catcher, every network has a search function and you can just search for theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and we will be there. You can add us to your podcast list and we post new new podcast every Monday, every Sunday night, every Monday, ready for your week so that you can listen to it as you go to work, as you're traveling, as you're whatever you're doing, it's there for you to, to make it easy for you to prep. And that way, when you subscribe, you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and don't forget to take a moment to connect with me. I have a link in the show notes where you can join the Prepper website email list. And that's one way, actually the one major way that I communicate with people out there is through my email list. And not to mention the fact that you get the Saturday prep every Saturday morning, just a list of different articles, podcast videos that you can uh, check out that would add to your preparedness. All right, guys. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.